Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 295 of the podcast. It's January 3rd, 2018. I want to wish you a happy new year. I hope your year is off to a good start, even just a couple days in. I think the podcast here will be off to a good start. There are uh, more episodes coming up um, this month. Um, but today's guests are Sarah Steinberg of Atrius Health in Massachusetts and Ted Toussaint, a healthcare innovation strategist formerly of Atrius Health. Ted is doing some independent consulting work now. He's also a faculty member for the nonprofit organization Catalysis. So today we're talking about some innovative work that they led and worked on at Atrius together using a variety of modern product development and innovation methods, including um, principles and ideas from lean, lean startup, design thinking, and more. And, and their goal was to create, what they accomplished was to create a new model called Care in Place for home-based patient care that helps reduce trips to a clinic or a hospital. So I saw them present about this work last year at the Lean Healthcare Transformation Summit. Their talk was titled Model Cell, Applying Innovation Process to New Care Model Design. And the work was also featured in an HBR article titled How Atrius Health is Making the Shift from Volume to Value. And you can find links to all of that by going uh, to the blog post for this episode, leanblog.org slash 295. I hope you enjoy the discussion. I hope you're inspired um, to, to look into ways of being more innovative here in 2018. Well, Sarah and Ted, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, great to be here, Mark. Thank you. So, Sarah, can you maybe start off and introduce yourself to the listeners, tell everyone a little bit about your professional background? Um, yeah, definitely. So I, I actually started out um, as a manufacturing engineer in the semiconductor industry, um, working on the shop floor um, as an engine manufacturing engineer. Um, I really loved the high tech aspect of it, um, but I sort of found myself drawn to every time a customer would show up on the floor, um, I sort of was drawn towards you know, specifically designing a product for what they needed. And so I realized I wanted to jump to product development. Um, so for over the next seven years, I've spent um, working in new product development uh, in the medical device and diagnostic industry. Um, I kept sort of moving more and more upstream, uh, realizing I really enjoyed being in Gemba or being, you know, being in the place where all everything was happening. So in the hospital working in operating rooms, emergency rooms, ICU. And, and I just sort of really enjoyed looking for new opportunities and, and working on then designing and testing new, new um, products uh, in, in sort of the hospital healthcare space. Um, when I was finishing my, up my MBA at night, uh, I found this opportunity to join the HRS Health Innovation Center. And, uh, and I sort of jumped to that, uh, to that opportunity to work with Ted and and sort of bring my experience working working sort of as an outsider looking into healthcare, um, designing new products, um, bringing that experience. So it sort of worked directly with healthcare providers, you know, doctors, nurses, operations people, 
um, to sort of improve the way that we you know, deliver care as opposed to adding products to it. So really getting into the service design world. Um, and that's sort of where where I am now at HRSL. Well, good. And I'm, I'm glad we'll be able to talk uh, a lot today about designing new approaches to care. So thank you for um, for being here with us. And um, Ted, maybe your turn now. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm uh, Ted Toussaint, and uh, my experience has been, uh, for about the last five years or so, been working in healthcare. And I started out as a lean facilitator working at Atreus. Um, and over a period, of, you know, working on improvement and facilitating uh, event-based improvement and uh, looking at lean management systems. And then a period of time went by and we started to kind of dig more into new product development and design thinking and innovation and how we can apply that to redesigning our work. Uh, and that kind of led to the formation of the Atreus Innovation Center, which I helped kind of uh, develop the business plan for. And we, you know, designed what that business model would look like. Um, and so then in that, I became more like a sort of like a new product development engineer, but really focused on doing care model care model design. So spent time doing that at Atreus with Sarah, uh, and now I'm working both independently and as a faculty member for Catalysis, uh, which facilitates the Lean Healthcare Network, and I'm doing teaching and consulting around uh, innovation in healthcare delivery. Well, great. And you know, before we dive more into talking about the, the Innovation Center and this one initiative in particular, you know, Ted, you mentioned, you know, kind of an evolution that a lot of organizations have gone through from lean improvement events uh, to focusing more on management systems and, and daily uh, improvement. Um, before, before we talk about innovation, can you give a little bit of the background about lean at Atreus Health and, and then maybe kind of bridge that into um, how the innovation center and that approach fits in? Sure. So um, Atreus, just as, as a, uh, for some context, Atreus is a large multi-specialty physician practice in eastern Massachusetts, serving about 600,000 patients. Um, and in 2009, uh, decided to kind of leadership decided to really focus in on lean as a key strategy for the organization and did a really pretty deep dive into exploring that. Uh, and at that time had a fairly large uh, Kaizen promotion office or Lean Central office. Um, and so that that group, starting in 2009, was really focused a lot on value stream and event-based improvement. Um, I wasn't there in 2009, but I have colleagues who were who part of that, so I've heard their stories. <laughs> um, and so really focusing on that, but then, you know, kind of as that natural evolution that a lot of organizations have gone through, we were doing a lot of improvement work, seeing a lot of benefit, and then started to think, but what are those larger kind of systems that need to be in place in order to make this more sustainable and, uh, and to really help facilitate the cultural change? So that's when we started to dig into the managing for daily improvement, and we had huddle boards that we had put up around the organization, and we were coaching leaders on how to manage uh, how to manage by process, um, and then and then in addition to that, kind of how do we align that all up through a Hoshin Conry system, and how is that strategy being developed and cascaded through Catchball through the organization? So a lot of those types of conversations and that type of work, um, and that led to a lot of really really powerful results for Atreus. Um, 
Atrace Health was one of the uh, original pioneer ACOs, so one of the first organizations that started receiving value-based payment from Medicare. Um, and as a result of a lot of that improvement work, uh, Atrius was rated number two in quality across all of the 30 or so initial Pioneer ACO. So some really, really, really great results from that, from that, uh, from that work. Um, yeah, and then, and then that sort of, all of that is sort of what led to the development of this, this what we're talking about, the Innovation Center work, because I, I was part of the, that uh, Lean Central office and the innovation work sort of was an outgrowth of that team to some degree in that some leaders were asking the question, you know, what is innovation? Is there this thing with new product development that we can explore? And so a number of us were sort of sequestered off and said, all right, let's go put a team together and kind of research this and do a little pilot around innovation and kind of see what we can learn. So let's let's transition into talking about the the care in place um, initiative. Can you talk about um, you know how that got started? Was there uh, sort of a point where there was recognition of a of a problem, a need, an opportunity? Yeah. Um, so that the care in place initiative was the first uh, full project that we'd run once the innovation center was formally established, and really started. It's kind of a tricky question to ask where you start uh, innovation, um, because if you start it more broadly, that leaves opportunity to research and maybe find something that you didn't know existed. So that's kind of where we started. We said, we're going to, we're going to really focus in. We know, we know we need to improve our, and change the way that we deliver care to our high risk elderly population. So let's, let's start there. So we just started with three months of just researching uh, what care looks like for for our elder uh, elder patients and trying to find opportunities. Ultimately, through that research, we uh, did a number of things. We did journey mapping and chart reviews and spoke with a number of different people throughout the organizations. And, and through that process, we discovered this opportunity. And uh, the opportunity was that um, some of our patients would, would call into the office and they would have concerning symptoms and uh, the nurse triage protocol, so the nurse is answering the phone, they, they would check these symptoms, and basically the, pre, the triage protocol said that the patient needed to be seen today by a provider, and that was the care that they needed. But sometimes the, those patients weren't able to physically come into the office, and that at the time was a total limitation of our system. We didn't really have an alternative besides an office visit except to send the patient to the emergency room. And uh, we knew that based on some of the research we'd done about the system and the quality goals that if we could prevent ER visits and hospitalizations, we that would be a really big win for us if we could prevent those unnecessary hospitalizations. So that became kind of the problem or opportunity that we discovered was, is there a way that these patients don't really need hospital care? They could be seen in an office visit setting, but they can't come in. So is there some solution there that we can develop that can prevent them from going to the ER? And then once that was identified, what were some of the, the, the you know, different methodologies? What was the process to um, continue working on that? Yeah, so once that was identified, it really became a lot around uh, 
how do we kind of develop concepts that can solve that problem? And we had a number of different ideas and ultimately settled in on this idea of an urgent care home visit. So uh, we could send somebody to the patient's house to treat them in their home. Uh, and then it really became a lot about kind of prototyping. How can we test whether or not this is going to work without really building out a whole system and kind of speaking to uh, different stakeholders and engaging them and kind of testing this concept with them to see, is this something that could take hold in the organization? Uh, and then and then from that point, kind of what it, that process of designing it out and building it out and testing and then doing one visit and then doing five visits and then doing 10 visits and kind of learning as we as we went and and sarah is this a point where do do you do when, when did you enter the picture with the project here um yeah i actually so i while ted was working on the um this initiative i was working on another project team um but soon after Soon as as they were sort of ramping up on on this um, his initiative, uh, we also spent a bunch of time sort of reflecting on our process at that point, and and we made a we made some iterations. We did we sort of treated our process as we treat problems in healthcare. We sort of looked at it, researched what was working, what was not, and then we we sort of prototyped new iterations and new new aspects of our process to sort of develop what we what we use today and you know in that process i don't know if you want to elaborate on this sarah or or ted you know in the, the presentation i saw you give at the society for health systems conference you, know, you talked about lean product development and design thinking and lean startup methodologies um how, how did you decide to pull from those different approaches yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, I mean, so we um, it was really great because one of the things that's awesome about the innovation center is we we really make it we really try to have a really dynamic team with very different backgrounds. And so so we had Ted and a colleague from you know from the care improvement side who who knew all about sort of lean lean um, methodologies and and that type of uh, continuous improvement work. We also had a human factors engineer who really understood a lot of the psychology and of, of patients and customers. And, and you know, we took um, we took lean startup methodologies, and also we had a design thinking person. You know, I came from product development, um, and also I came from uh, uh, design controls, which is like a medical device um, framework for for innovation. And and we realized that we were all sort of bringing different aspects of it that were so great that we we were like we don't want to we don't want to just choose one and, and at the cost of missing all the other um, things so we sort of we sort of took all of this different sort of knowledge and and put it together into a process that we thought worked best for for the projects we were going to be doing and and so you had identified this opportunity um, what you hear you saying is you know you have elderly patients who needed fairly um, urgent care, couldn't get to the office visit. Um, the, the old default might have been going to the emergency room, which might have, uh, I'm guessing, included an ambulance visit. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about you know, setting up the, um, I don't know if this is jumping ahead too far in the story to talk about the first prototype mm -hmm. 
or the first pilot? Um, how, how did you get from kind of recognition of the high level solution that you needed to deliver care at home to understanding the details about what that would look like? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the research kind of led us to that problem. And then um, I think the, the first sort of step in prototyping, and I think this is an interesting just question about prototyping a service. Because I, when I originally, when we were talking about prototyping, we, I was thinking about, you know, well, how do we take like tape and build something really you know, build some physical thing that we can test, you know, but with a service, it's all about what is this process that we're going to use? It's what are people going to say and, and how are people going to, how are people going to do that? And, and so with, it really became kind of identifying what our core assumptions were about this service and then doing little process tests to see if we could see if those assumptions were true. So one of the, one of the key assumptions in this in this urgent home care concept was that patients would actually be okay with this idea that they would want somebody to, if they called in and they had a medical need, they would want somebody to come to their home and help them there. And so the prototype in that particular case was, all right, let's sit, let's, let's sit in the phone room with the, with the triage nurses. And we had a meeting with them and explained the concept and that the prototype was really okay, when a patient calls in and meets these criteria, let's offer them this visit, even though we don't have the visit yet, we're not going to be able to deliver the visit, you know, so there's a little bit of, you know, customer service uh, kind of navigation there that you have to do, but let's, let's offer it to them and see what they say. Because uh, we're not going to go build out a whole, all this infrastructure to handle this type of work if well, we would hate to build out all that infrastructure only to find that when the first patient call came in, the patient said, actually, I don't really want it. So, <laughs> um, so that, that's one example of like, of one prototype that, that we built or that we, it's, it's kind of funny. Like I said, like we did building the prototype. We just kind of did that little process and that was kind of our prototype. Um, so that's one example. And then, I think from there, uh, you know, we kind of got that validation. We did some of that type of work with internal customers, with the physicians and other nurses and administrators to kind of run concepts by them. Um, but then at some point, it got to the, we got to the level where it's like, all right, we need to we need to test this other assumption, which is if we send somebody to the patient's home and we can treat them at at their home, that we can prevent an ER visit. So that was that next level of depth. And we really felt the only way we could test that truly was to actually run a visit. Um, and so then the question became, how do, we, how do we run that visit fast and quick? And again, not build out this whole system around it, but just kind of do it once and see if it works. And so uh, that became a different process of how are we going to find that person, that provider to do it? So we had a nurse practitioner that was part of a, another home health program at Atrius who was sort of a, a colleague and friend of the team. And we kind of phoned in a favor and said, is this, can, can we try this with you? Would you be willing to dedicate a day to help our team to try this new concept? And so we weren't kind of 
we weren't allocating a whole FTE or a person dedicating time. It was just kind of this quick little test. And then from that, we ran a couple of visits and said, and, and we were able to show, yeah, went into the home, the patient had a UTI symptoms, were able to correctly identify that, prescribe antibiotics in the home, get them the treatment they needed, and that prevented an ER visit. And so when we had that information, that became sort of the green light for the next level of, all right, how are we going to continue to build this out? Um, is that, yeah, mm-hmm. that's kind of that, the, the flow there. Yeah. And, and, and what were some of the initial criteria? You know, it sounds like, you know, and one way of saying this might be a plan, do, study, adjust cycle. You were planning, uh, you, you, you did that, you provided care to the first patient on a limited basis, maybe a few other pa- patients. How are you studying and evaluating? You mentioned trying to reduce e- ER visits. What were some of the other goals or measurables? Yeah, I think um, some of the other goals were around, we'd done a fair amount of research into patient needs. And so we had identified seven core patient needs. And one of those needs, which one of those needs was patients wanted to stay in, patients want want to stay in their home. They don't want to leave their home for care, especially in the elderly population. And so that was preventing the ER visit was a clinical uh, outcome, but it was also a patient need outcome. Um, and then there were these other, other things such as um, patients want to feel like they have support when they have a problem. They want to have lowest life impact. Uh, they, they want to maintain their autonomy and maintain their quality of life. And so we were kind of after every visit that we had, we got on the phone and called the, called the patient and had a set of kind of follow-up questions that we wanted to ask about how was that experience. And from a more qualitative point of view, though, really at this point, because we hadn't, we didn't have clear metrics that we were trying to hit. It was more exploratory. It was more, we just did this thing for the first time. What happened? What was the patient's perspective? What can we learn from what they what they, how they experienced that. Um, so, so that was one. And I, I think another thing it, that's on the patient side. And then there's also sort of the operational side too. So when you're, when you're doing something like this, there are so many different details that need to be thought through like, okay, so we're going to go see this patient and how's the medical record going to be updated and how is the provider in the field going to have access to the internet to get onto the medical record and what is, are there going to be coverage issues in the, you know, in the 4G iPad or once that, once that, um, medical record is in, how, how are we following up with that? What's the workflow and, and who should that go to? And, and does it go to the PCP or does it go to the provider who provided the visit? And how are we making sure that if the medications are ordered, that those are getting to the house? And so there are, all of those kind of more detailed operation, operational things to think through that we had to r- really reflect on. So we had a lot of reflection after each after each visit. Um, just to what is it okay if I add some color to what Ted was saying? Awesome. Um, just from a, so from a process standpoint, what Ted is really describing is is our what we call our ideate and uh, ideate and iterate phase. Um, which is really like our prototyping and testing phase. And the way we look at it is kind of like a funnel. Um, so at the very top, um, you only want to be putting in designing and then 
testing um, something that like people actually want. So, you know, in care model design, we often talk about the biggest waste is making something nobody wants. And so we really want to make sure that, you know, even if we're doing a very small portion of it or or like a very high level version of of what we're trying to create we want to find out very quickly if if this is something that our patients really want um and so like ted was saying you know we we call them we we meet them at their house we we ask them what how it was what their experience was what we could have done better um and only after we are like pretty sure and and very confident that this is something that they actually want then we dig sort of deeper down into the funnel um and start doing subsystem and then component design and so you know at that point it's like they want these visits in urgent care visits in their home um it prevents them from going to the hospital but what how can we do it faster you know do we use an uber do we use our personal cars like ted was saying you know what type of Wi-Fi do we need? What type of connectivity do we need? How do we make this faster, better, um, be, you know, better experience for our patients, knowing that it's ult- overall the right thing to do? So yeah. Now you know you remind me of you know some of the lean startup language when you talk about the waste of building uh, something that customers don't want. Um, so it seems like there's elements of lean startup. Um, you talk about meeting. Needs, discovering unmet needs. Um, one thing I was, I was curious if you could dig into a little bit, Sarah, or elaborate on me is ties back to your background as a manufacturing engineer. The uh, the idea of quality function deployment. Um, can, you know, uh, I don't know if at this point you would call it a traditional method. I remember learning about it, um, you know, in grad school twenty years ago. Um, can you talk about this process of translating needs into features and sub features? Kind of elaborating on how you guys oh, yeah. did that. Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, and Ted, feel free to for jump in. Um, yeah. So the quality function deployment is something that um, in product development and and here with care model design, um, I've we've been able to use a ton of times. It's it's a tool I love to use. Um, and it's really that you know it's that getting into the customer needs, understanding. Um, like Ted was saying, some of the, you know, people want to stay in their home, you know, people want to have convenience, some of these things, and and really getting down to sort of an actionable customer need, and, and then also prioritizing them, which is so key and important, you know, sticking to the the problem identification phase, and just really understanding the, the unmet needs and the problems. Um, and then, and this is why I, li- I love QFDs so much is that you know you put them all you put them all on a list a prioritized list and only then do you jump to solution space and sort of talking through you know what overall so top level you know what's the system design need to be to meet these needs or to meet the highest priority needs um, and then and only then once you hum, come up with like an overall system then you d- dive into the subsystem design and how is how are these um, subsystems you know, um, enabling the system to work, but also meeting the the needs again, and and then and then diving you know even deeper into component design, um, and sort of letting letting that matrix you know of of how much a particular component or feature solution meets the customer needs and how how well they do. It helps you prioritize what to develop and what to what needs to be tested sooner rather than later. Um, so I think it's a great, it's almost like a great 
design tool and then it turns into a great project management tool that really lets you sort of drive what needs to be tested and designed first and um, and what's the highest priority to meet the most customer needs. And uh, Ted, do you have anything to um, to add on that or, or would, would you, you know, the next question that came to mind you know, for either of you is, you know, I'm sure you didn't have unlimited time, unlimited budget. Um, you know, what was some of the process for prioritizing some of those different options for solving, meeting some of these needs or, or just prioritizing the ones you thought might have the, uh, the greatest impact? Yeah, I, I think in terms of that, the, the, the biggest challenge we had was converging on the idea that we needed to do this urgent home visit. We had in our research phase, we discovered a lot because remember the research phase started with just very broadly high risk population, high risk elder population. So we found a lot of different, a lot of different things in the system that could be worked on with that. Um, and especially in that kind of exploratory research mindset, you enter this very kind of divergent mode. And we came to kind of refer to that as divergence momentum at some point where it's like, every question you answer leads to another question and it becomes this very energizing state to be in because you're constantly uncovering new things, new things, new things. At some point the organization says, all right, you guys have to build something. <laughs> and <laughs> that that's a really kind of painful moment in this process for the project team to bend that divergence curve and say, all right, we're going to stop the research. Yeah. There's a million things out there probably that, that we haven't learned about yet that could be even bigger than the ideas that we have now. Um, but from a, a you know practical resource standpoint, we have to pick one of these things. So um, for us with the Care in Place project, that really was kind of a, a moment where we said, looking at all of the things that we had, where do we really think we can have the biggest impact? And, and the problem that we described earlier about the patients calling in and us sending into the ER really was the one that felt the most impactful because, you know, this was a huge area that we could make um, impact on important organizational metrics. There was clear um, financial uh, a, a financial kind of model that we could build around this because a lot of those elderly patients, when they went to the ER, were being admitted to the hospital. And because Atrius Health had such a large portion of their patient population on value-based payment, if we could reduce unnecessary hospitalizations, it would be a really huge system impact. Um, so that was kind of that, kind of that that point of convergence. Though, it, looking, I mean, looking back on it, it's easy to kind of make sense of it all. In the moment, it's it was like a really kind of painful. You know, we had to. It was sort of like a grieving process to let go of all these other ideas that we had. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure the business case, the financials work out very differently here since Atrius Health is not a hospital care provider that um, re reducing that hospital expense did flow through uh, to the Atrius Health bottom line, in addition to providing better, more satisfying care for the patients. Right. Yeah, I think that really was a key component to this model was that because Atrius doesn't own hospitals, when we reduced hospital admissions, uh, that was only seen as a uh, 
basically a reduction in total medical expense from our side that went to the bottom line and not a reduction in revenue in a hospital that we might have owned because we didn't own any hospitals. Um, one, one other question that comes to mind, you know, you talk about um, discovering patient needs, um, you know, design thinking and, and lean startup approaches and, and even the Toyota product development system, you know, all, all involve stories of um, observing um, customers um, living their lives or using products or using competitors' products. Um, you know, last week at Lean Startup Week, people from Intuit, the software company, um, talk about a process that they call uh, follow, follow Me Homes, I think is what they, it's kind of an awkward noun, <laughs> noun verb. But with permission, they follow customers home and they observe mm -hmm. them using products and, and, and discover you know, some unmet needs that, that led to, for example, they have a, a QuickBooks um, a version of QuickBooks for, um, you know, people who uh, drive Lyft and Uber and kind of a solo, um, solo employee business version um, of the product. Um, but, you know, back to the case here, what, what, how much did, did you, where did you find the balance between asking patients versus, you know, sort of trying to observe and maybe trying to discover things that, that people might not have volunteered during an interview? Did you have a chance to actually go and observe or did you do that through the early visits of just observing and seeing how that was going? Uh, do you want to take that, Sarah? Um, yeah, sure. So, yeah, I mean, so to underscore all the things you said, you know, we totally believe in that concept of, of, there's only so much you can ask someone um, before you have to start, you know, getting in the context of, of their life and what they're doing and, and how they're they're interacting with the services or products we're delivering. And and so we spent a ton of time um, not only talking to patients, but like trying to immerse ourselves in their life and, and their in this and how they interact with Atrius Health and how they interact on the phone and in their homes. And so we spent a bunch of time in their homes um, observing. We also, I know Ted and, and the other teammates uh, specifically for this project um, did a bunch of ride-alongs with the nurses who were going into the home, um, you know, sort of watching that and, and interacting with the patient. Um, you know, I, for some of our other projects, we've um, we've gotten the opportunity to sort of spend time with patients in their environments, you know, sort of throughout the the care pathway. So, um, you know, it it's one thing to to talk to a patient on the phone while they're in the hospital. It's another thing to sit there and to watch them, you know, struggle with with navigating the system. I, I talked to one patient at one of our local hospitals. I, I went to visit her um, and and just watching her try to order breakfast um, was was so much learning and it was incredible to sort of reflect on that and to see it firsthand. Um, there's just there's just nothing nothing comparable to sort of getting those latent needs that you're not going to discover by, it's not going to be something they can articulate, but if you observe it firsthand, it's something that you can incorporate into your solution. Yeah. And you know, that it's like that observation, seeing people struggle on um, with, with lead. Yeah. You know, there, there, there's a lot of empathy involved in, in you know, watching somebody struggle. And, and can, can you touch on, um, you guys talked about this at the conference. I think it was you, Sarah, who, who spoke to this, um, 
the the difference between empathy and sympathy when when kind of observing customers or patients? Yeah, yeah, that's a great that's a great question. Um, so yeah, so we sort of take we sort of take our empathy um, <laughs> very seriously in that we you know it's it's one thing to sort of listen to someone and 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 feel bad for them and and sympathize with them. You know, it's like wow, that that must have been terrible. Um, but empathy is really you know taking yourself out of your own biases and your own you know, your own perspective and just putting yourself in their shoes, putting yourself in, in what it must be like for this patient and, and just trying to like completely immerse yourself in their perspective and their point of view and in, you know, from their lens. Um, and, and that's actually something that, you know, it's something that we really try to do. And, and one of the other things we try to do is, is what we call sort of an empathy transfer. Um, so it's one thing, you know, for you yourself to, to observe it, but obviously you have a team as well as an organization behind you that you have to go back and and develop a solution and and promote the solution as the way forward, path forward. And so we spent a lot of time at the innovation center figuring out good methods and good ways of of taking that that time in the field, taking that time in a patient's home, in the hospital, in our clinics, um, and and how do we sort of take that empathy that we felt and, and, you know, we were in their shoes and how do we bring it to the broader organization? Um, yeah. And so what, what I hear you saying is um, empathy is putting yourself in someone else's shoes as opposed to just fe feeling bad for them. Is that a fair summary? Yeah. Yeah. And it's one, yeah, it's exactly, it's one thing to, to feel for them or, or understand that, that they're going through a tough time or they're, that they're experiencing something. It's another to, to sort of make it personal and yeah, put yourself in their shoes and like, be like, what would, how would I feel if that happened? And what would, you know, what are they, what are they going through? Um, like from their eyes, from their perspective. Yeah. So in, in this important work, I mean, you've, you've, you both have talked about, um, you know, benefits for patients, benefits for Atrius Health. How, how would you summarize what were some of the, the numbers and, and results from uh, initial uh, use of the care in place process? Yeah, I, um, so I think the initial results from that were, were pretty impressive at up front. And what we found were that was that for these patients that we'd identified that were calling in on the phone, when we sent someone to their house, we were able to keep them in their home and through a series of questions with the providers and the nurses and the patients asking what they would have done had this not been available, um, they said that uh, about 50% of the time that that patient would have, been, would have been sent to the ER. So that was, we had sort of like a 50% success rate in that, in that work. Um, and the other time, it was basically that the patients wouldn't have been sent to the ER, but we, we weren't really sure over the phone at the trigger point of the visit. So that was kind of initial results. I think as the program has scaled up, uh, the, 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 the model was sort of spread to the other 25 Atrius Health Clinics. That percentage has, has uh, decreased uh, to, I think, around... Um, 40%, just kind of as the system has stabilized. Um, and the, the overall numbers, I think, um, so 
if we're looking just at 2016, which is when this started, that we started prototyping in 2016. And by the end of the year, we'd scaled it to a number of different clinics. And by the end of the year, we'd seen 300 uh, 300 total care in place visits, and that had re- that had resulted in 118 patients uh, avoiding the ER. Um, and then we also kind of then were able to suggest that there's a subsequent number of hospitalizations that were prevented from that. And based on the data we had about how likely certain conditions and patients were to be admitted to the hospital, we estimated that was about 50% of those 118 patients that avoided the ER. Um, would have been sent to the hospital. So that's kind of at a scale in 2016, 2017, the work continues. Um, and I think uh, 2017, I'm looking at the numbers here. Yeah, so 2017, there were 518 home visits provided uh, so far as of as of August, actually. So that's of, as of August. So pretty large. We were able to kind of scale that quickly and have it has had a pretty significant, pretty significant uh, cost savings. I think the total reduction in total medical expenses about 1.5 million across all those 1.5 million dollars across those all those visits and I will say from a from a patient experience sort of qualitative standpoint this has become um, a market differentiator in our you know I mean the Boston healthcare market is a very very competitive one and and it's something that we're re- we're realizing patients are are seeing this program as you know, something that differentiates us from our competitors. It's like something we can offer to them. It's been exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, sounds like there's some great results. Um, the spread of, um, this process from the initial clinics out to the other clinics sounds like a really good news story. So, you know, we're, we're getting a little short on time as we wrap up here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, you know, if each of you would maybe share one thing that really surprised you through, this process or, or one key thing that you learned that you might want to um, share with the audience as a, as a final thought? Uh, yeah, I think for me, uh, through the journey of this work, my big takeaway is that this deep customer insight is a complete, a complete game changer. And uh, with my previous work in the value stream improvement, um, I don't think the level of depth of of patient research is quite there. Bringing a patient into a room to get feedback on our current processes uh, doesn't really go deep enough if you're trying to radically change things because the whole point of this work is to depart from the current process. So feedback on what we do today is not going to help us design what we do tomorrow. And so I think that's the, the my big takeaway is how do you get at that that there, there are processes there that, that get at those kind of future for future focused um, kind of kind of customer insight, and th- those have been, like I said, a real a real game changer. And uh, Sarah, how about how about you? Yeah, I think I think the most surprising and exciting thing for me um, in in being in this process and and these types of projects is is really just the to sort of always be learning, always be discovering, sort of open-mindedness that that we've been able to develop and the, the, the importance of it. Uh, I guess it's just, you know, it's so important to to try things and go out there with actual patients. Um, but to try something quickly, go back, you know, iterate, reflect on it, come up 
new design and then go back out and try and, and just sort of how that has to challenge you to have an open mind to it and, and try to keep your biases out of it and to really like, you know, appreciate and identify good solutions when, when they come across, come across. It's just something that has been really exciting to, to be a part of. Well, great. Well, th thanks to the both of you for sharing. Uh, put you on the spot for some reflections there, but thank, <laughs> thank you for um, taking time to um, talk about um, the uh, the uh, care in place model. Um, I encourage people to go. Uh, I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, the HBR article. Um, is there anything else out there online? I guess people can do a, a Google search for Atrius Healthcare in place. Is there anything else um, out there you would point them to or, or are those the best places to, to read more? Yeah, I think those are those are the great great places to read more about Atrius Health and, and our innovation center. I, I would also say um, medically home uh, program is, is what we're working on now, a home hospitalization program. And if you go to medicallyhome.com um, that it, it sort of gives you an overview of the, the startup that we're partnering with Medically Home Group. And, and it gives you some insight into the, our current project with the Atrius Health Innovation Center. Well, great. I'll, I'll be um, curious to look at that and encourage others uh, to do the same. So um, I want to thank our guests today, um, Ted Toussaint and Sarah Steinberg. Thank you so much for uh, joining us here today. Thank you, Mark. It was really fun. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.